Hi, I'm Coach Ricky Ronnie, and you're listening to The Monarchist. I'm Mike. And I'm Aaron. And welcome to The Monarchist Podcast. Tonight, we are welcomed by Matt Brown. He is a sports writer. He's a former teacher. He's also the owner and operator of Matt Brown's Extra Points, where you can learn all of the current news on college sports and college sports business. So thank you for joining us today, Matt. We're so happy to have you. Fellas, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So tonight, we're going to call this episode Learning with the Monarchists. And there's one subject that we want to learn more about because it's having a huge impact on college sports right now, and it's NIL. What can you tell us about NIL and how it got to this point? Sure. Um, I, I think a useful thing when we're talking about this with fans is to start at the very at the very high level, right? And by that, I mean, I, I think there's really two different kinds of NIL markets, and they, they operate differently, and I think we should treat them differently. So we have one NIL market that I call market-based NIL. And this is something that just about every mid and low major institution um, has, has tried to embrace. And when I say market-based NIL, I mean an athlete doing a deal with a business or maybe participating in some kind of camp or uh, playing in a band or selling pottery somewhere, do, doing a kind of deal with an entity that is based on market reality. Uh, so like, for example, I've paid, I don't know, 14 athletes, I think, over the last year and a half to either promote extra points or to produce content for extra points. I don't really care uh, where they go to school. I, I'm not doing these deals because I'm trying to influence anybody one way or the other. The last deal I did was with a young woman who's a pole vaulter at Notre Dame. Anybody that follows me on Twitter knows I love making fun of Notre Dame. I'm, I'm definitely not a Notre Dame fan. I did the Notre Dame went four and eight joke six years after it stopped being funny. Like, but, but I, I looked at, I, I did this deal because I thought it made financial sense. Thousands of athletes are doing deals just like this. And it is a market that has its challenges. It has its inefficiencies, but it definitely exists. And it's one that I anticipate athletes at ODU and some of their peer institutions could take advantage of. That's one segment. We also have a completely different segment that I would like to call Bagman NIL. And that these are deals that have absolutely nothing to do with the individual marketability of any athlete. They are salaries. They are talent acquisition or talent retention fees generally paid from NIL collectives or specific donors or boosters um, in exchange for maybe some charity work. And uh, I'm making air quotes around the word charity here, maybe in exchange for autographs or some kind of appearances, but it's, it has nothing to do with being able to drive any kind of business outcome. As an example, if you are a high school football player, say a, a, a five-star quarterback, you may, as you read in the, uh, in the athletic and probably heard about this if you're a college football fan, um, sign an agreement with the collective that would pay out around $2 million a year. There is no high school football player in the country whose individual marketability is worth $2 million. There's not. There, there's a handful of basketball players. Bronny James is probably worth that much for the right campaign. A football player, even a quarterback right now, isn't. 
that person may very well be worth $2 million to the University of Tennessee as a football player and their ability to win football games and sell football tickets and, and have performance there. But in terms of being able to sell something on Instagram or participate in a camp or endorse a product, sell Substack subscriptions, no. And like the people that are telling you otherwise are trying to sell you something. Um, and, and But that that model exists. It doesn't respond to business uh, incentives. It doesn't respond to market forces the same way. It has different challenges. So I don't like grouping them all under NIL. I, I try to say, okay, there, there's two different things here. I mean, depending on the athlete and depending on the goals and what we're talking about here, that might be market-driven. It might be bagman-driven. And then once we know, we can kind of engage with it on those merits. Does that help? Uh, that's extremely helpful. I love the terms too, man, especially as we talk to fans around Old Dominion and we see how things are developing in the mid-market area. It really helps to define it as market-based and bagman. We've seen some of those sales that have come out around with some of our athletes and they definitely are not in the bagman variety. I think there's very, very few mid-major football programs at the FBS level right now that are meaningfully in the bagman NIL space. And, and a big part of that is simply they don't have the money. They don't have the the institutional fundraising capability to play in that space. It doesn't mean that the mid-majors don't have collectives. A lot of them do at this point. But they're not in a position to really win a bidding war. And that doesn't mean that there aren't people in the Sun Belt or people in Conference USA that are prepared to give $100 handshakes to recruits. Like that's been going on since the 60s. I don't want to incriminate anybody at ODU, but my assumption would be somebody somewhere in that program is is prepared to pick up a, the tab for a couple of those things for people that are doing well. But it, it's not as much of an issue in the high school recruiting world. Like the, the, the collectives that exist that are supporting peer programs to ODU right now, and we could talk about this in a second if you want, are, are not the same kind of collective that exists supporting Oregon or Tennessee or Kentucky or Texas A&M. They're not legally incorporated the same way. They're not raising money the same way, and they're not distributing money the same way. Let's talk about that a little bit. So there's a clear separation. There's a clear divide between, let's just say that the P5 world and the G5 world. So Sunbelt specifically. So Old Dominion is in the East Division and the Sunbelt, and those are the folks that we're competing against for recruits. So from a NIL perspective, what are you seeing the most success? Who's doing the best job in this? Or what do you see the future like as to be really competitive at the G5 level? Yeah. What's that model? What's that model going to look like? Well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about how different collectives are set up. And then we can, maybe we can, we can kind of pivot from there to what success looks like. Cause I, that's a, it's a difficult term to kind of wrap your arms around, right? So I, I think it's important for fans to realize here, because a lot of them are like, oh, oh my God, we need a collective. So-and-so has a collective. Everyone has a collective. They're not all equal. Collectives are uh, organized differently. They have different goals. They have different levels of sophistications. So like on, on the lowest end here, and more of these are kind of going away, but they do still exist. There are collectives, which are literally, based, literally just a group of message board dads passing a hat around Venmo, and trying to distribute a couple hundred dollars for someone to come say hi to tailgate or to sign some autographs. I don't say that pejoratively. I don't say that to humorously exaggerate. I mean, like, I really think like TCU had a collective like that. FIU had a collective like that. There's, there's, there's a handful of other ones. They're not, there's no institutional fundraising happening, right? There's no development uh, professional happening here. It's just, let's pass the hat. 
and and far be it from me to besmirch paying an athlete three hundred fifty dollars to hang out at the tailgate or or sign some autographs. Three hundred fifty dollars, three hundred fifty dollars, man. Like that was my rent when I was in college at Ohio State. Like we sh- we should not disparage sharing that kind of money. It's not going to change a, a recruiting decision, probably, right? So that's that's one group. You have a handful of collectives, uh, to the best of my knowledge, exclusively at the high-level Power Five area, that are really being run as for-profit companies. They're, they are establishing themselves as marketing agencies. They might have a 20-person headcount, 15-person headcount with, with multiple uh, individuals who all they do is, is make phone calls and try to solicit money or try to, to broker some of these outside deals. And the collective is going to capture a percentage of that money for themselves, not just for like baseline operating expenses, but to make a profit. What Clutch Sports does is what CAA does is what a sports marketing company does. It's a hard business to be in, but if you're supporting a gigantic brand and you're really good at development, you, you can make a business that way if you're representing a lot of people. It's not the standard, but you know, I think Tennessee is probably the closest example to what this looks like right now. And that's that's an eight-figure-plus operation at the moment. Um, what's more common would then be to have something in the middle of a, a, a collective that's either run by uh, some boosters, maybe some ex-athletic department officials, uh, people from the business community, ideally at least one person that has some level of, of nonprofit fundraising experience and somebody else who has some accounting experience. Um, and you can set this up as a nonprofit where you are trying to raise money and then kind of funnel it through charities to give to athletes to do charitable things. Or you could be trying to match athletes with potential for-profit marketing opportunities. There are a handful of companies that now manage multiple of these things. You might go and say, we want to kind of, you're interested in starting a collective. We don't have that experience. You can call somebody like Blueprint or Student Athlete NIL, and they'll say, we'll professionally manage it for you. Um, and Blueprint, I, I believe, is one that does a couple of mid-major collectives. Uh, the Friends of Rocky at Toledo, which I think is one of the more um, expansive mid-major collectives. I want to say is run by that company. So there's a few of those, and you have some that are kind of that are that are done, uh, you know, in-house. Um, there's you have you have some groups which are literally just trying to pay salaries, right? We're, give give us the money, and we'll give a lump sum payment to a current athlete to help them as as some kind of retention. And then you have some that are really uh, like we're not trying to get involved in recruiting at all. We won't deal with anybody until they signed a national letter of intent, and we're trying to match them with for-profit entities. So uh, how you want to structure it is is in part philosophical. Part of it depends on your experience that you have with that group of boosters or, or that those that group of individual uh, individuals, what sports that you want to support and, and how expansive uh, you you want to be. I think just about everybody in FBS football, could probably support one of these groups. If you have five or six, you probably run into problems. That's what happened at Virginia Tech there for a little while. But it that it, it is it is something that 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 you could do to to provide some some extra value. Because um I don't know, maybe people may not may not fully appreciate this. Finding deals can be hard and it's really time consuming. Now, there's one thing that athletes at ODU do not have, whether you are a softball player or a soccer player or a football player, it's it's free time. It's not a 20-hour commitment to be an ODU football player, like especially in season. That's a 30-hour commitment. Then you're going to class. Then you're traveling. You've got weights. You've got meetings. God forbid somebody wants to spend some time playing Call of Duty every once in a while or maybe go on a date. Like The last thing that they have is 10 hours to go mine Instagram to go find some deal to sell energy drinks. So in a perfect world, the collective 
that might have some of that experience can help match the athlete with a brand or an, uh, an entity that would benefit from working with them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So ODU, for those listening that don't know, we do not have a collective, but we are using a third portal service, which allows access to the athletes and brands to kind of match with each other to find good NIL opportunities for themselves. Hayden Wolf is a good example. He is now the face of Dirty Buffalo, everyone's favorite wing place in Norfolk. Um, yeah, you can't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, we're open to an NIL deal with the Dirty Buffalo if you guys are listening. <laughs> now, while doing some research for this episode, I looked at what was going on in the Sun Belt. Coastal Carolina has a collective. Appalachian State has two collectives, and they're very similar to the ones you're talking about where they're trying to match them with sponsors. It's more fans just paying to kind of support these players, put a little bit of extra money in their pockets. And then the other example would be Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. They have a portal set up, but instead of having a third party run it, they have hired a company locally that's run by a Louisiana alum to run. So a little bit more hands-on and more direct, probably has more experience and a better idea of the target market for Louisiana fans. So that's a little bit more for our fans to be updated on. I'm not sure where we're going in Old Dominion, but that's why we're doing this talk with you today, Matt. We're just trying to educate folks so they understand it better. Sure. Um, what, one, one thing I think I will add, and this is just my professional opinion, it's not very expensive. And it's not too difficult for any school to set up a school-specific NIL marketplace, right? Influencer and Open Doors operate most of these. And, and for those that are unaware, like the school can say and then promote, like, hey, here's our official school-sponsored marketplace. If you're a brand and you want to work with an ODU athlete, you go to this website, which we're advertising here in the basketball arena. It's in the programs. It's at the tailgates. And you can find an athlete there. We won't broker the deal for you, but but you can negotiate with them and reach out to them independently to set up a deal. And there's it's it's the the, op, the opportunity cost for doing this is not super not super high. The problem that I have heard from both mid major and even high major programs is that um, it takes a lot of work to recruit brands to participate in this because like as the wing is a wing example is I think is a very good one. The kind of companies that normally would really financially benefit from working with an, an ODU athlete are going to be probably restaurants. They're probably going to be Norfolk centered professional services company, real estate agents, attorneys, uh, uh, you know, life insurance, insurance salespeople, you know, those kind of things, campus bars or like hyperlocal retail. The problem with those kind of businesses is that most of them have never done influencer marketing before. They have no idea how to evaluate the success of a marketing campaign. They have no idea how to price a marketing campaign. They don't know what CPM is. They've probably never bought a Facebook ad before. And when you use the influencer or the open doors or whatever school-specific platform and you start those negotiations, and then you figure out, well, I don't know what the hell to charge here. Uh, am I looking at just that I get a bunch of sales? Do I set up an affiliate code? Do I have to set up a, a tracking pixel? And also, God bless the ODU athlete here. And I, but, but if they're like most 19-year-olds, they're bad at social media. And, and by that, I mean like 
they're not typically posting to build a gigantic audience and the skill set that comes with running these campaigns is not native, particularly if the brand has to do has has them do something on like Twitter or TikTok, where maybe the people on the brand side aren't as familiar with that place, uh, you because know, that's not where the athlete is. So it's it's a big mess. The places that have been successful have dedicated university resources to recruiting brands. Like I'm talking, you might need to literally walk the streets of Norfolk or walk Newport News or something and walk into bars and say, hey, you know what I think you would really benefit from is working with our softball team. And here's here's the I'm gonna walk you through it, right? And like we go real old school. But most people don't have the the manpower for that. Like I, I know I'm not looking at this in front of me. I'm guessing ODU doesn't have like 12 like athletic department development professionals. The only school that I know off the top of my head that I think has had a lot of success with their school-specific marketplace has been Western Kentucky. Um, and, and Southern Miss a, a little bit, but a, a lot of them, you know, here in Chicago, where I where I'm based, like DePaul has one of these. That's a bigger brand. It's mostly a ghost town. Chicago's huge, man. Uh, it's because they're not they haven't been able to kind of get outside their their bubble to sign people up. So that's that's a that's one of the operational challenges, right? Like if you're trying to help drum up market-based NIL, that's it's not just an athlete education and athlete recruitment component. There's a brand side component for this here too. And it's a I don't think anybody's really solved that yet. If I knew the answer, brother, fellas, I'd be doing that. I, I wouldn't be showing a newsletter trying to beg people to pay me eight bucks so I can go get Conference USA realignment scoops. Like there's there's a lot of money to be made there, but even the big companies haven't mastered it yet. So you mentioned Icon Source, right, in, in there? Uh, Influencer and Open Doors are the, are the two largest companies. Okay, so Old Dominion is using Icon Source, but they also have a portal on their own website that you can reach out to athletes on. So we are trying, but there's always room for improvement, right? Now we kind of understand what NIL is and how it can help athletes. Uh, What is the next thing coming down the pike that will impact colleges? Well, you know, I I joke about this. If my crystal ball was perfect, extra points would not be eight bucks. I would be charging a lot more money. But the, uh, the biggest thing that I don't think fans, and honestly, even athletic administrators, I think, have fully appreciated here is the threats to the status quo of amateurism are no longer academic. They are significant, they're real, and they're coming very soon. There are two things that are going to happen next year in 2023. One is we're going to get an initial ruling for NCAA v. Johnson. If you're not familiar with this case, it's working its way through federal court right now. It's centered around a handful of institutions in Pennsylvania that have sued. And the question at stake here is whether athletes at places like Villanova and Bucknell, not Penn State, um, were improperly classified as, as students, as student athletes, and they should have been employees and therefore would be due things like minimum wage, workman's comp, and the ability to collectively bargain. I don't anticipate this future final resolution because no matter what happens, it's going to be appealed and it may go up to the Supreme Court. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening there, but there's going to be an initial ruling. You also have the National Labor Relations Board, which handles labor disputes, has flat out said last week, hey, we're going to investigate USC and what not just whether football and basketball players should be considered employees at USC, but across all of the NCAA, something that would it would have jurisdiction over everybody. And that's not going to reach a final resolution in 2023, but the initial hearings are going to happen in March. They're going to be appealed and that process is going to continue. So I, I say this here, it is unlikely the NCAA wins both of those. So there is a real chance that by in the next two years, 
the federal court system, one way or the other, is going to say athletes should be employees and you need to pay them directly. And we cannot continue this pretend game of amateurism we've been doing for 160 years. And the only thing that can stop that would be either winning every single court case, which after Alston, I don't think you can do anymore. Or you get Congress to pass an antitrust exemption and some other additional bill to legally protect college athletics from being sued all the time. And that's what the NCAA has been pushing for. That's why they just hired a, a politician to be their next president. And it hasn't worked. And that's not a Democrat or Republican thing. It's people from both parties have said we're not interested in doing that right now. Maybe that changes. Maybe that changes after a court says you're all employees. I don't, I don't know. But these are not academic things. And guys, if we have, if we legally move to professionalization, this NIL stuff doesn't matter anymore, man. Like it's not like there's a, a booster group that's raising money for the Boston Red Sox to try to go help, like get people to, to, to get endorsement deals so they can sign a new second baseman or the Celtics aren't doing that, man. They got to collect a bargaining agreement for that. And I think that's, what's going to happen. If we move to a professionalized system, a lot of this NIL esoterica is most of it's going to disappear because it's going to be governed by employment contracts. So, Matt, what do you think is going to happen here? I mean, I'm familiar with CBAs in the government contracting world, and yeah. we've got a lot of business in California and all along the waterfront in the San Diego area, tons of it. So I'm familiar with negotiating those things, and it can get really interesting. So like we were talking earlier with this significant separation between high power five level schools and then the G5 guys and below. So if it goes to an area where athletes are considered employees, there's a lot of schools that, where is that money going to come from? Or what does that look like? Is there a minimum wage? Is there CBAs for different levels of sports or different conferences? I mean, I don't even know where this thing would start. It's a really good question. And I, I can't tell you that I know exactly what would happen, right? Um, to the extent that we have a CBA, that depends on who's in the bargaining unit. Is the bargaining unit every college football player? Is it, do you have different bargaining units for different conferences? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. And, and, and we don't, I don't know if there's actually going to be a union because even if unionization is allowed, you got to vote to have one. And um, that would, the, a college football player union would be, one of the youngest and most transient in the entire world. And like I, I've worked in labor organizing a little bit. Like, guys, that's really hard to do. There's a reason that like not every McDonald's is unionized. That's a difficult force to, to organize and kind of get and let alone together. getting every team with even within a conference yeah. to vote on that. You're in different states, right to work, all kinds of, you know, that. I don't even know how that thing would flow out. Yeah. And, and, and this is one of the questions everyone has to ask, right? Like I, I really believe, especially at the power five level, that there's enough money to pay the athletes directly. There may not be enough money to pay every athlete $4 million, but it, it simply means that a lot of the revenue has to be redirected. There's no reason for the uh, that a, a, a coach, a college football support staff needs to have 85 people or whatever it is that Florida has right now. The, the NFL players don't have that. There's no reason that facilities have to be built up the same like at a way that exceeds the professional level in a lot of different places. There's no reason for college coaches, not just not just head coaches, but coordinators, position coaches, strength coaches, all these other people to be making north of $800,000 even in the Sun Belt. For some of these things, like you're going to have to reallocate some of that money to the athletes. 
at a place like ODU or a place like James Madison or a place like Marshall, um, that becomes more complicated. And and I don't, I mean, without looking at their books, I, I, don't, I don't know the exact answer. I think it's pretty safe to say if we move to a professionalization model, will ODU be able to pay, pay the same salaries and offer the same benefits as Virginia? Probably not. But ODU doesn't do the same thing for, for professors. They don't do the same thing almost assuredly for professional staffers. If I was a .NET developer at ODU, I'd probably make more money at Virginia or Virginia Tech. And ODU can still function just fine, and, and Radford can still function just fine. And there's there's a way there's a way that, that you could do it. But those are the details that are going to be decided by courts and politicians and labor organizers and folks that we don't know. And and th- this would be like my plea on the off chance that you know any any ads or any outside counsels listening to this like. You don't have to tell me what you're going to do, but like you got to have a binder that explains what your 30, 60, 90, 120 day deal uh, plan is in a professionalized world for Old Dominion Athletics, because that's not just a fun hypothetical thought exercise. Like that is a thing that could happen and it could happen while like before all the athletes on this football team graduate. It feels like an onion that just keeps going the more you peel it back. And then we haven't even talked about the non-revenue sports or the olympic sports and how that's impacted i don't know where we're going but i hope our listeners feel more educated i know our time is out here matt i hope we can have you back so we can learn some more in the future on athletics and the business of sports it's been really awesome to have you and we really appreciate your time it's it's my pleasure i know i i hope this wasn't too in the weeds here for everybody this is this is my beat i love talking about this stuff i help teach it in college but if these are the kind of things that are interesting to you, I think I would just say that uh, you may enjoy Extra Points, which you can find at extrapointsmb.com. You can subscribe for free and get two newsletters a week. And there is a paywalled for $8 a month option that gets you four. Um, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head if people at ODU are on the paid list, but but administrators at Sunbelt institutions uh, and across multiple sports are. So you know, if, if it's good enough for them, it might be good enough for you guys. Uh, if you want to really kind of get in the weeds of what's going on. I know we've had a couple of listeners already reach out when we announced we would have you on that said they are subscribers. So I'm so glad to um, hear that. I know they're excited about this episode and thanks again. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, Matt. Thanks so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem, fellas. Have, have a wonderful holiday season. All right. You too. Hey, you too. All right. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.